Lord Jesus, we are frail human beings. And for those of us that have lived enough life and have seen enough hurt and pain, we know that often we find ourselves without answers. And yet, Lord, you have given us your word to provide us answers for our greatest need. And that is to have life returned, souls brought back from the dead, and the hope that things will not always be full of pain and sorrow, but rather that there is life and hope and joy found in Christ that is but a foretaste, that is but a glimmer of the realities that yet wait those of us who have been adopted as his children, the great glories of heaven, the folding back of the curtain of separation in all its fullness awaits us. Lord, would you illumine this text to us this morning that we might hear, that we might see, and that we might believe. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would open with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11. If you don't have a Bible with you, hopefully there's one close by in the pews there. You would stand as we read from God's Word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance that what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believe. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Amen. Please be seated. This is a powerful passage. The power of the resurrection is an amazing thing to behold and to hear. And it would be right if I was to take this whole morning and look at this passage and, and unpack and say to you, look at all the proofs that Paul lays out for the reality of the resurrection. That it was according to the scriptures that all these eyewitnesses saw it 500 at one time. So you can't have this view that these people were just having an illusion when they saw the resurrected Christ. Rather, 500 people at the same time don't usually have the same illusion, even if they are all taking maybe even the same hallucinogenic drug. They still usually don't see the same illusion. So we could spend our time talking about that. 
And we could say that, you know, that, that these are proofs that indeed Christ rose from the dead, and that would be very valid, but that's not what I want to talk about this morning. We could also talk about the reality of the gospel and what it is and the power that the gospel has in transforming lives. And that's sort of what I want to talk about this morning, but I really want to focus in on a very specific part of that, and that is the reality of the resurrection. Why is that so important to us? And not just the factuality of it, not just the fact that Paul says, if Christ is not raised, then you're dead, then your hope is in vain, you're the most pitiful of all people, if that's not true. I want to kind of take a little more positive side, which you may read through this passage and not see. What I want us to look at this morning is three people that Paul signals out in this passage and says, Christ appeared to them. Now, Paul doesn't do that for no reason. Paul points out that the resurrected Christ appeared to a denier. He appeared to a doubter. And he appeared to a destroyer. And when he appeared to them, their lives were never the same. And I think it's relevant this morning for us to ask, why? Why were their lives never the same? And secondly, what does that have to do with people living in the 21st century? So let's take a look at this passage then in that, in that view. First, the denier. Notice in verse 5, after Paul has said, we've preached this gospel to you, we've asked you to hold fast to it. If you indeed have, we've not preached in vain, that you have believed and that the realities of the gospel are these, that Christ has died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then we come to verse 5. And what Paul is saying is this is part of the gospel reality, and that He appeared to Cephas. Now, for those of you that know biblical code, Cephas is Peter, Petros, the rock. Simon, and if all we had was the gospel accounts up until Christ's crucifixion and death, if that's all we had, all we would be able to say about Peter is he had a big mouth and he used it to deny his Savior. That would be all we could say about Peter. He said, I will go to death with you. I will defend you. I will never deny you. But that's exactly what he did. Not once, not twice. The Gospels tell us he did it three times. And the last time he even used profanity to make the point. I do not know that man. Wow. Wow. See, you get the point of what Paul is writing when he says here, and he appeared to Cephas, the denier, the one who made promises he did not keep. What Peter did in response to his denial was to run off weeping. And that's the last word we hear about Peter until after the resurrection. But what a great story we hear after the resurrection. See, the question we might ask is, what changed? 
What changed was Peter saw the risen Christ. The Gospel of John goes on to tell us that while they're out fishing, the, the men who Jesus had said, look, I've come to make you fishers of men, said, well, Jesus is dead. We're going back to fishers of fish. And there they are out there doing what comes natural to them. That's often what people do when they're hurt, when they've felt a sense of devastation, when they have no other recourse. We often revert back to whatever it is that we kind of know out of rote to do. And these men went back to fishing. We have that great event. John looks out and sees a man on the beach. And apparently Peter wasn't only slow in running to empty tombs. He was also maybe a little short-sighted as well. But John looks and says, that's the Lord. And Peter jumps out of that boat and swims to shore. Because the resurrected Christ was there. Now, what does that tell us about Peter? One thing is that Peter was not a man who was afraid in some ways to face his issues. Because you know what? If I denied the Lord Jesus three times and gone off weeping, I'm not sure that the first thing I'd want to be doing is jumping off boats and be the first person to meet him. But the reality is, is what changed in Peter was is that Christ was not dead. He was risen. And by the time we get to Acts chapter 2 through verse 4, the man who was denying Jesus three times, the man who was weeping, the man who was saying, Lord, you know I love you, and yet still hidden up in an upper room with the other disciples, becomes a preacher, a proclaimer of the gospel, of this message. Christ has risen. He has risen indeed. That's our first person. Changed, transformed, renewed. The second person. Drop down to verse 7. Look at what Paul now addresses. And he says this. He talks about those 500, some of them, or many of them who are still alive. And then he says, Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, the first reading of that, you'd think, well, he appeared to John's brother, James. James and John, the sons of Zebedee. But that's not who... Paul is thinking about here. Who Paul is speaking of here is Jesus' younger brother, James. Why would he appear to James? What was so significant about James? Here's what was significant about James. He doubted. He was a skeptic. See, Paul is saying, deniers, well, the power of the resurrection can change them. Doubters, skeptics, Power resurrection can change them too because what we find out in John 7 verse 5 is this startling statement. For not even his brothers believed in him. Now, I don't know about you, but I never had an older brother. I was an only child until I was almost 13 years old and then my mom surprised us with a, a, a new little gift from heaven. But I lived most of my life as, as the sibling. I was my brother, sister, all those kind of things. I entertained myself. And so I never really experienced the reality of what it's like to have an older brother. But I did have guys who were older than me at our church. And I used to always look up to them. And it's always been striking to me when I read through the Gospel of John that Jesus' younger brothers didn't believe in him. 
They doubted him. His whole family at certain points thinks, you know, I, I think he's a little off his rocker. I think maybe he's got a few visions of grandeur that need to be brought down a little bit. And in fact, this passage where it says not even his brothers were believing him, James was telling him, go on up to Jerusalem, get on up there and make yourself known. In other words, get some people to buy into you and maybe we will too. See, James doubted that Jesus really was who he said he was. And in fact, we have no record after this of anything about James until we get to the book of Acts. All we know about James is he, like, his, like Jesus' other brothers and sisters, doubted, didn't believe, and then went on their merry way. What changed? Paul is telling us what changed. James met the resurrected Christ. And what happened? James was transformed from being a doubter to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2. He was like a pillar of the church. Do you understand the power of this? A man who basically doubts, doesn't believe, is a skeptic. And he's transformed. He's changed. He's renewed. Because he has seen the resurrected Christ. He has been transformed into something he was not. The third person. Paul goes on to write this in verse 8. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was that is with me. Paul's use of the term is pretty graphic when he says he appeared last of all to one untimely born like me. That word actually means to be an abortion. It means to be an aborted child. Paul's pretty graphic. Lots of times we try to clean up Paul in our English Bibles. He's usually not quite as clean as we like to make him. Paul says... I was like a, dead, like a child hurled out on the mountaintop, like what the Romans would do with children that were, they didn't want, that were deformed or that weren't going to work out. They would leave them out to die. Paul says, that's what I was. I was a destroyer of the church. Paul, a man who held the robes of the men who stoned Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Stoned him. Paul standing there approving. Paul, who went to the Sanhedrin, the same Sanhedrin that had crucified, had gone to Pilate to have Jesus crucified, the same Sanhedrin that had warranted Stephen's death, now gave Paul papers, marching orders. You can go to Damascus and imprison Kill, destroy, persecute the way, the church, the people of God. Paul says, I may have been a Pharisee of Pharisees, but in relationship to the kingdom of God, I was an abortion. 
if you haven't figured it out yet, the question is, what changed? What changed? What took this horrible man, killer of Christians, and changed him into a man who went all over the known world, spreading the very message he had sought to destroy? He met the resurrected Christ. He met Jesus. Not like the other apostles, which is why he says, I'm like the least of them because I didn't know Jesus in his earthly ministry. I didn't get to walk and talk and eat and laugh and be scolded by the living Christ in his earthly ministry. As one untimely born, for those of you that don't know the story, briefly, Paul heads to Damascus to destroy the church. And the resurrected Christ stops him in his tracks and says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Paul goes into the city blind. Ultimately, a man of God comes and ministers to him. Scales, type scale things fall off his eyes. He sees again, but he sees much more with his spiritual eyes. He hears much better with his spiritual ears than his earthly eyes or ears may ever have served him. He was changed. He was transformed. He was renewed. The destroyer had become a planter. He says earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I planted, Apollos watered, but God caused the growth. Paul went from destroyer that which takes life away to that which puts the seed of life into the ground and watches God grow it. All because he met the resurrected Christ. Now, I told you at the beginning of this, I could have spent this whole sermon trying to convince you, please believe that the resurrection is true. But see, here's where I'm at this morning. It is true. You can't dispute it, refute it. Men better than us, women better than any of us as far as their intellect and abilities have tried and failed. Most people who truly go about trying to disprove the resurrection end up believing in it. Why? Because they come face to face with the resurrected Christ. There is power. And what I want us to see more than anything else this morning is as we come into this room, is that we recognize that we are not worshiping some idea. We're not standing around. We don't show up in this room to sing all hail to some nice being up there somewhere. We come into this room to celebrate the reality of a risen Savior whom many of us in this room know personally. And in fact, if we were to go around this room, many of us could testify to the fact that we understand better than we'd like to what it is to be a denier. Because some of us grew up in the church. And when we got older, we said, you know what? To hell with all this religious stuff. I'm going my own way. And we were stopped dead in our tracks. By the resurrected Christ. Others of us in this room have been doubters and skeptics. We have doubted, and it is only because of God's mercy and grace 
that the resurrected Christ stepped into our reality and took a doubter, a skeptic, a disbeliever, and transformed them. And there may even be in this room someone who basically had made it their goal to basically not only doubt, not only deny, but maybe even to destroy, to hurt people because they were Christians. I've known them. I've met them. People who their joy in life was refuting and disputing with Christians to embarrass them and show them how foolish they were to believe in their Savior. And I've seen those people changed. Why? Because they met the resurrected Christ. What I want us to see, men and women, this morning, and what I want you to live in every day of the year, is that if you know Christ, you know a person who's powerful and able to change and transform people who hate Him, people who doubt Him, people who deny Him. That's not just an idea. That's not just something we're talking about. That is the truth. And that is what Paul testifies to. And in fact, I think that's why he says, unless you believed in vain. See, to just... Think about this as some idea that makes you feel warm and fuzzy on certain days of the year. It's not sufficient. To just show up one day a week and say, I got my God time in, is insufficient. See, for those of us who've met the resurrected Christ, He has enraptured us. He has overwhelmed us with His love and with His beauty. And with His grace. And there is no going back. There is no going back. Because we've met the resurrected Savior. And His power has transformed us. So, in conclusion then, I just want to say this. Do you see Jesus? I always think about the Greek men who came and asked the apostles. They said, sir, we would see Jesus. Do you see Him this morning? Do you believe Him? Do you look, as Paul urges us in Colossians 3, it says, look into heaven and see Jesus seated at the right hand, the resurrected Jesus. The power of the resurrection gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. This then, if you do see Him, is why we worship. It is why we sing. It is why we show up week after week after week to do this thing we call worship. It is even why we are willing to suffer. It's because the power of the resurrection is at work in us. If you don't know Christ this morning, would you please, I beseech you, I urge you to talk to me or someone else in this room who you know knows Him. Don't let another day go by not knowing the power of the resurrection. May God make it so in our midst. Amen.